Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Just Work Podcast. I'm Kim Scott, and... I'm Wesley Faulkner, her co-host for the Just Work Podcast. I'm a developer relations professional and also a community manager. And Kim, what do you do? I am soon to be a paperback writer, which I'm very excited about. (laughs) Uh, Maybe you'll write the front as well. That's right. (laughs) That's right. The paper front and the paper back. And we are going to read, or I'm going to read, and then we're going to talk about uh, a a page from the upcoming Just Work paperback and talk about it. And then Wesley has a story, and we're going to use some of the stuff we read to talk about it, or maybe we're just going to talk. So we'll see what happens. Ready? Yes. Yes. Let's do it. All right, let's do it. So this section is follows the previous section from the previous podcast, and it is called How Do We Get These Problems Out of the Way? A Framework, or if you prefer, a Taxonomy. This book offers a framework for thinking about how to match different solutions to different problems. You can also think of it as a taxonomy. It's a way to parse the different toxic behaviors that will destroy your team's ability to collaborate. Okay, I'm going to pause right there. Too corny? What do you think, Wesley? You like taxonomy or don't like taxonomy? I love it. It will never get old. I say you say it all the time. I think it's going to be my new uh, word that I'll try to work into conversations from here on out. It's because it's useful when you're furious to try to parse the problem uh, as a way of sort of managing one's own emotions. Yes. And I'm sorry, I don't want to devolve too much, but someone said on Blue Sky, I was on Blue Sky, and someone says that their wife just coined a new term saying, I'm in a situation. And it sounds exactly the same way, like the words describe exactly everything you need to know. Okay, situation. I'm going to work that into this book too. All right. Frameworks don't claim to fix everything. Rather, they serve as a tool that can help us break a problem down so we can stay oriented as we begin to work on it. For example, Michael Porter's Five Forces Framework helps leaders identify the key strategic forces at play in their industry. The framework doesn't promise instant sustainable competitive competitive advantage, but it can help you identify and manage the competitive dynamics in your industry. It helps managers differentiate between pressures from competitors, new entrants, suppliers, customers, and substitute products. This seems obvious, but in the heat of the moment, it's easy to conflate different pressures from different sources or to blame everything on just one of the five forces. Here is the framework that will help you stay oriented as you confront different situations that may feel bewildering. Bias, prejudice, bullying, discrimination, harassment, physical violation. So since this is a book that I'm reading from and this is a visual, this is imagine these words horizontally and there's a little lightning bolt between bullying and discrimination to indicate that that's what happens when power enters the equation. The next few posts will help you identify the attitudes and distinguish between these different behaviors, each of which will threaten to move your organization away from collaboration and respect. For each, I will offer some ideas for how to get things back on track. Subsequent posts will also go into more detail about the different ways you can apply this framework, depending on whether you are an observer, the person harmed, the person causing harm, or the leader. 
Changing these attitudes and behaviors, many of which are deeply ingrained, will demand that you are both patient and persistent with yourself and others. You must extend grace as you hold others and yourself accountable for doing better. You don't have to achieve perfection in order to take a step in the right direction, and that can give you the optimism you needed you need to take the next step. This radical the radical respect framework will help you figure out whether you are dealing with bias, prejudice or bullying and what to do about it. All right. So that is I think that's enough reading for today. So the idea is that there's one taxonomy, this bias, prejudice, bullying, discrimination, harassment, physical violations. And then for the first part of the taxonomy, there's one framework that helps you know how to deal with bias, prejudice, and bullying. And for the second part of the taxonomy, discrimination, harassment, and physical violations, there is a second framework. The fact that I had to explain Mm -hmm. that indicates to me (laughs) that I need to go back and do some editing. But anyway. Well, this is also like, you know, this is will be unfurled. Uh, Yes. These are in stages. So um, I think that, I think it's, it's chopped up very nicely. Okay. Good. And uh, and what do you think about having a couple of different frameworks, one for the first part of the taxonomy where power doesn't enter into things and one for the second half where power does enter into things? I think the separation is very good. The reason for that is because um, <laughs> my, my uh, frantic anxiety self is way different than my calm self. And yeah. having a strategy when you're calm and knowing what to grasp for when you're not, when you're full, like you're in the moment, it's good to know. I don't even know how to deal with this right now, but then I do know that there is a framework and yeah. having a, a cheat sheet or some sort of crib notes about yeah. how to process that or how to go through that is so, so, so useful uh, to be able to make sure that you at least do the work when you're calm so that when you're in that place where you actually need to use it, that you can at least uh, practice like a muscle and be able to revert to the thing or the structure that can help you get through that. Yeah, yeah. And you, uh, a couple of weeks ago, Wesley, you had a situation. <laughs> and <laughs> and it was infuriating. Uh, I don't mean to make light of it. But sometimes, uh, I don't know, we, we have all we should do a whole podcast on humor. But because I think I sometimes I tend to revert to humor when things are uncomfortable, instead of like admitting how horrible, but you had a really, you had a really crappy thing happen to you. And you dealt with it. You were a study and calm uh, in, in a way that I that left me sort of flabbergasted and, and with admiration for you. So why don't you tell folks what happened and then we can we can talk about it and we can sort of figure out which which part of the taxonomy was present and why? Sure, sure. Um, by the way, just talking about the calm piece. Um, I get. I've. I've. I shared it with a, someone else. Uh, a recording of what happened, and uh, they said the same things. Like, I don't see how you you were that calm in that situation. But unfortunately, or fortunately, I had a lot of practice uh, yeah. throughout my life. But a little bit of the backstory that leads into the situation of why that was so pivotal or so um, impactful at the time. I lived, or my family lived in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Uh, we moved there from Austin, Texas, because my father-in-law 
was diagnosed um, with a terminal illness. And so we moved there to spend his last days during the pandemic. Uh, unfortunately, he passed away. Um, and uh, being in that space, um, there were some issues with race that a lot of people didn't deal with there. And so it was re- they're really insensitive around that subject um, when you tried to talk to them. And I was used to it, but my kids were not. And so in Texas. They, in, uh, in Eau Claire. Uh, in, okay. w- in Wisconsin, my kids were not used to dealing with the kind of, um, let's just say, racially charged language or actions yeah. that happened while we were there. Um, I'm not going to call people racist because I don't know what's in their heart, but I can tell that their actions were extremely harmful for my kids. And so, yeah. um, so you weren't going to sis- move back there. So we were leaving. A we were not moving back there. We we're finding yeah. another place to live, and so um, we moved to Texas to be neighbors with my sister who has three lovely kids that are mm-hmm. around the same age as my kids as a way of healing and kind of like detoxing yeah. from this, the, the state that they're in, in Eau Claire. Um, and so we were there and uh, unfortunately the place that we lived had some health issues. Like the, I don't know if it was mold or the, the three pack a day smokers that lived there before us, but Ugh. we were not having good, uh, respiratory issues while we're there. We're having a lot of sickness in different ways of way it was manifesting us. And the landlord told us that they weren't basically going to address it and for us to move out. So we had to find a new place to live. And so um, we, we found a place uh, here. Eventually we're in Roanoke, Wisconsin, and it'll make sense. I'll tell you why this is important to the story. I'm getting there and I won't take too much more time. You're in Roanoke, Roanoke, Virginia, Virginia. Virginia. Sorry. I I think I said Wisconsin. Sorry. Roanoke, Virginia. So we moved to Roanoke, Virginia um, because it mixed, it checked all the boxes that we're looking for in terms of what we wanted in a place to live. So we had to move out of our place in Texas, Mm -hmm. pack up in a car. We went back to Eau Claire to sell our house. And so we're just in town for the paperwork. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're, we are crammed in a Prius so it's you uh, and it's two me, ki- my uh-huh. my wife, uh-huh. our two kids, uh-huh. our two very large dogs. Um, oh my gosh! They're they're Great Pyrenees. So, oh my gosh! Uh, Huge. So dogs. they're fairly large dogs, and our four cats and oh my our gosh. bunny. <laughs> okay. All in the car, and we drove <laughs> from Hutto, Texas, back to Eau Claire, uh, straight because we have the animals. We couldn't spend too much time in a hotel. Yeah. And so we drove straight through, basically. So you and your um, wife are swapping off we were, driving. No, um, because of the health issues, she couldn't drive. So I drove the whole way. Oh, my way. gosh. So you're driving for like 20 hours. Yes. Super wow. exhausted. We get yeah. to the hotel. We go to check in. And the manager says that we can't. That, oh, my that gosh. We cannot stay there. And you have and a reservation. We have a reservation. Mm-hmm. And the reason they gave us is said that they do not... Uh, do business with locals uh, because we'd never changed our driver's license or our driver's license still said our Eau Claire address because that was our permanent address because we were, yeah. but we we're renting a home and living in a home in Texas for yeah. five and a half months. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we, we are residents officially of Texas, but yeah. we still, we had two addresses. It's almost like yeah. we had a summer home and a winter home or whatever, Yes. but we did not live in Eau Claire anymore. And no matter what kind of pleading uh, he was firm on his policy. And that and is ridiculous. The, like, like, yes. like what hotel doesn't do business with locals? That is, I'm just going to call BS right there. 
And also, how many locals book a room for two weeks? I understand if we're going to throw a big party, trash the place, maybe we'll stay there for a day and then like leave. And but it it was a two week stay. Um, And because of our needs, uh, this is one of the places it it was the home to in Eau Claire. It was only places that had like a kitchenette because we're at the grocery shopping and all that stuff. Um, And so I asked. Why so they have like, the policy? It's, it's late at night, and you're trying to check in, and you walk yes. in, and this guy says you can't, no room at the end. Yes, and mentally, you know, I'm not all there. I've been driving yeah, for like a whole, yeah. like a day, day and, and not a half. just driving, but driving with yes. a lot of family in the and car. bags, right? So like and, we're all and bags and, and animals, and yeah, yeah. Uh, and just like fueled on like yeah. travel food, which is yeah. not the best. Awful, that makes me yeah. feel icky. Yeah. Ugh. Uh, and I asked the question, I was like, why do you have the policy? And he tried to back it up and saying, oh, because locals trash the place. And I said, we're not local. Uh, we offered to show the paperwork that we're just closing on the house, show yeah. the paperwork where we lived in Texas for the last five and a half months. He didn't want to see any of it, didn't care about any of it. And then I said, well, um, how would we have known about this policy before we yeah. got here? Yeah. And yeah. he Yeah, you accepted said, the reservation. Yes. Uh, reminds me of that Seinfeld sketch where like, yes, you took the reservation, keeping the, um, yeah. but the, <laughs> uh, he said that basically the policy is not posted anywhere on the online that we would have seen while we booked it. And then while I was there, I was like, well, can you show me the policy? How do you have this policy? And he said, yeah. oh, it was sent to me via email. I was like, well, can I see the email? He said, no. Uh, he refused to send <laughs> it to like, me or show so it to me. He's clearly lying. He, yeah. yeah. And and it, the, here's the infuriating thing is that he was firm. I couldn't do anything. I can't bum one, rush him and like grab a, a room key. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so the worst thing I, I mean, the, the best thing I could do is just, we had to turn around and leave and find another place to stay. Uh, and then but you, like, were, we comp- you, yeah. you sent me a recording of this, Wesley, and you were yeah. so calm. You were so totally and perfectly calm uh, and, and making it very clear by the questions you were asking. Cause it was like, you said, well, can I, you said, can I talk to the manager? And he's like, well, I'm the manager, which he was acting yeah. like some other manager had yeah. made the policy. Yes. Um, uh, yeah. It was awful. Awful. Yeah. He made it clear that he had the discretion whether yeah. or not to adhere to the policy or not. And yeah. he was choosing very specifically not to make any exceptions for us. And, yeah. Uh, and and did not say I'm sorry at all. Didn't say ah, really no. I, I'm sorry for your. No, it's just very. Ah, no, he didn't care. It was clear from this yeah. he didn't care uh, at all, and it was also clear from this that it was racially motivated. I'm pretty sure that if a if a white resident of Eau Claire went uh, to the to this hotel, they would have been able to stay. I can't say it is, but Occam's razor is like, what else could it have been? Yeah, uh, I yeah, don't, I yeah. mean, it, I, I don't no, know I was, why someone was, would be so firm with like turning down two weeks of occupancy yeah. for a hotel. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was, uh, I was playing the recording that you sent me and my husband was sitting there. I hope that's okay. And he was like, who is this racist asshole? <laughs> um, <laughs> and my husband is like, not, he's one of those people who's he's an engineer um, and, and he's a white guy and he's really not, uh, he really looks for data before he, he doesn't, that's not kind of a, an accusation. He easily, I've rarely 
heard him. He always asked for the data and he had plenty of data from that call to say this was a racist policy. Um, so I'm really sorry. And then it like must have cost you much more to have to find a place last minute for all the, you know, for your whole family oh, and all yeah. the animals. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, I think it was it was close to $2,600 that we had to pay, um, uh, which was significantly high yeah. uh, um, because of the yeah. limited occupancy. And it's a small town. There's not yeah. many that can check off the, the, the things that we needed in a place because we were not just staying in overnight. We were needing to live there for the two weeks while we were uh, effectively homeless because we were uh, we lock, we left our rental place. We we're selling the place that we owned and we yeah. still have not closed on a place that we were moving to here in Roanoke. Uh, and so uh, it was, it was, it was not only that, it was like the worst way to, to kick off yeah. like a, a week. It, it tainted the whole experience the whole, about going there. Of course it did. Like we we're of like, Oh, we're did. moving. We're going to the place where we need to be and we're going to sell our house and we're going to start our new life. And it was like, Oh gosh, this is like well, the thank- worst kickoff ever. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm so sorry. And so the, this hotel was owned by Hilton, correct? Yes. Yeah. Home twos are home are, are uh, owned by Hilton. It's a Hilton brand. Uh, I, I emailed Hilton, told them this and they basically like, well, well hotels can do what they do. The, the manager can do whatever they want is basically the response I got. That is, I mean, that's got to be illegal. Like, like a major part of what kicked off the civil rights movement was the right to stay in a hotel, you know, mm-hmm. and not yeah. to have some racist hotel owner refuse admission. Right. But, but also like I asked Hilton, I said, can you get, I, I couldn't get a copy of this policy. Can you get a copy of this policy? How do I know this policy even exists? They can't, the, the, the manager couldn't furnish it or refuse to furnish it. Can you at least as Hilton, the parent company of this hotel, at least get a copy to show or just a, some sort of proof that this even exists? Uh, and they were not unable to even get a copy. So I don't know, like, there was no policy. Why people I mean, this, can can yeah. do uh, until I see otherwise, uh, they are acting with impunity and they are doing it out of malice. Uh, and I don't understand how they can still, like, with a clean conscience, say that this is something that is okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think that so so if we go back to the taxonomy, I would say the individual was. Prejudiced. I, I'm, you know, I'm not going to call this bias. I'm going to call it prejudice. And because he had the power to prevent you from staying there, I'm going to call it discrimination. And because I think if 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 you're going to put your name, if you're Hilton, and you're going to put your name on these home twos, it is not okay to just wash your hands of the policies of the individual managers. Like it is your job to make sure that these hotels don't discriminate and they failed in that i would i would argue absolutely i mean it, they call the industry of running a hotel um the hospitality they, industry they call it hospitality right <laughs> yeah that was industry. not hospitality yeah that's a hostility it was right hospitality. i guess we should, stop, we should stop making up words for this podcast ah <laughs> uh, it, it but it's hostile it is hostile um yeah uh, I'm so sorry. And I, I would say you handled that as well as any human being could possibly handle it. And, um, and uh, I think, 
the story's not over. Like you gave Hilton the opportunity to resolve it correctly and in private, and they did not take you up on that offer. So I think, I think we've got to make this as public as possible. Yeah, unfortunately, this is a, this is a, our modern society is that this is the recourse of not just keeping it private, but letting people know, not just for for me to get uh, recompense, but also to let people know or alert them that this is uh, a possible issue that they could run into. Um, and well, yeah, don't, it, if you if you really need a place to stay, don't stay at home too. Yeah, don't stay uh, there. Um, and yeah. no, even if you have a reservation, even if you could pay, prepay, I even yeah. I think you even offer to play like a bigger deposit or something like that to like assuage like any yeah. concern that we would yeah. do any damage. And that was still um, they weren't interested in, in worrying about that. So yeah, that if you yeah do not um, bring your business there, or you will also be putting yourself at risk um, because you don't like I was price gouged for like, and luckily I was in a place where I could afford it, but not everyone is as privileged as I am. Yeah. 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 I'm so sorry. And I think the other thing that's so uh, hard about the story is that you had to stay as calm as you did. Yeah. You didn't have, like if it, if that happened to me, I would go ape shit on this guy. (laughs) Not that it would do any good necessarily, but even just the knowledge that I could Right. Because you would feel on. fully justified because it is. A, I would feel justified. And B, I would, I mean, you probably would have felt justified too, but you wouldn't yeah. have felt safe going, you know? Exactly. And I think it's, I think it is really important to, to feel safe, to go, to be angry when you have what to be angry about. Because if you don't feel safe to get angry, like then what should be the, the energy that should be directed outward tends to turn inwards. And there are other situations Mm -hmm. where that happens to me, but this particular situation is not one where that would happen to me as a white woman. Yeah. It's cathartic to be able to, to, to like get angry and show anger. It's a, it's a release mechanism. It's like, why do I need to stick with this feeling? Why do I need to take it and hold it? Why can't I just not give it to the person that's causing it? Um, Yeah. And yeah, that is something that it it took a while to kind of de-stress and find a way to relieve it because then our, like, uh, I think I started like snapping at my kids, snapping yeah. at my partner. And then we were, yeah. we were just like in a bad mood because of this whole situation. And because we were, we could not bring our grievance to the party that caused it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's bring it to that party. Uh, uh, <laughs> let's bring it to them because it's not okay. What happened to you? I'm so sorry. Um, uh, anyway, we'll, we'll talk to Hilton. We'll talk to this guy. Yeah. And if you know anyone at Hilton, if you're listening to this, uh, you think that you can help or at least bring it to their attention, uh, please do so. Um, and uh, it, it, it would mean a lot to us, or at least to me specifically, to know that um, if we could at least make things better for the next person uh, yeah. and see if they can revisit this policy. And, and there are times where it's a bad action and the action happened to me, but this type of thing is structural. So this is a systematic yeah. structural problem that Hilton should address to make sure that this doesn't continue to happen to other people. Yeah. Cause it will continue and it'll be worse the next time. Um, and eventually it'll be, you know, not only bad for the next person, it'll be worse for Hilton if they don't get out ahead of it. I mean, that's why yes. it's so important when, when you're in a position of power and if you're managing a hotel or 
managing a chain of hotels, you're in a position of power and you got to make sure that you're doing it. It is your job and your responsibility to make sure that the right things and not the wrong things happen. And your book talks a lot about um, having checks to power and unchecked power can allow you to do things that you're not allowed to do otherwise uh, because you're not accountable to any other group or person or even the people necessarily uh, that you're there to serve. Um, and I think this or is a law. really good example. Yeah, or the law. And uh, and it becomes so much easier when you abuse power one time to abuse it the second the time, time, especially when yeah. you know there's not going to be a consequence. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, I think, I mean, I think that At the very least, at the very least, Hilton is responsible for putting policies in place that make sure that their hotel managers comply with the law. And Mm -hmm. uh, and for them to say, oh, he can do whatever he wants, including breaking the law, uh, you know, and and I think there's like this kind of like, oh, I'm so clever. I didn't break the law. I had this other policy. It's just BS. Like, let's, um, that's not, that's not going to work. So anyway, well, I'm it sucks. Go ahead, Wesley. <laughs> I was just say that Hilton is not even aware or have like a way of registering that there's the policy in place and that they're totally ignorant about how the hotels are run. They're also like a very uh, questionable. Yeah, it's an abdication of responsibility. Uh, they're, they're making money from this. They therefore have some responsibility. Um, well, Wesley, thank you for sharing the story. Uh, I hope that for folks listening, if you know people at Hilton and can help us escalate, that would be great um, because Hilton can. And I'm I'm optimistic that they will do better. Uh, but it, uh, and I'm sorry that Wesley, you know, I, I'm happy to take it to them. You shouldn't have to spend any more of your precious time on this. So sorry. Yes. It happened. Thank you for letting me take a, a host privilege and like share my story. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm glad you did. Uh, and, um, And thanks to everyone for listening. And we will see you next week. Yes. Bring your stories next time. We would love to Bring hear your it. stories. Make sure, yes. Make sure you email us at hello at uh, justworktogether.com. Uh, is that the right email address? Yep. Hello yes. at justworktogether.com. All right. Yeah. And yes, take care. And we'll see you next time. Take care. Thanks, Wesley. Bye.